We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Lord, we just ask once again that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation and remind us of the great truth that says that we can continually call out for you and you will rescue us. And so church, if you, while you're singing the song, if you haven't yet identified an area where you need to call out to him, and ask him to, to rescue you from your own sin, from your own whatever. Just take that moment. dismissed ages seven and lower can go back to the gathering lights ministry thanks for joining us kids hey um uh, since the inception of this church uh, we have uh, made a concerted effort not to build uh, this church around one particular uh, band member uh, one particular preacher dude uh, one particular personality. Um, and I think that the Lord has honored that. And um, it's also taken some some training um, on, on our church's part that uh, sometimes 
Sometimes we need a different voice, a different uh, person bringing the word of God. Um, that's how Jesus likes it. He wants his church to be led um, by a plurality of men. And so uh, at this church, we've been just so grateful that um, there is a number of men um, that are willing to stand up here and sacrifice their own time and effort and energy um, to work hard in the word so that God's people would be fed. Amen. Uh, this Sunday, we are blessed uh, to have Jensen Harper here. So if you don't know Jensen Harper, or if you don't know any of our story, like with where we came from, Antioch uh, is the church that planted us. Jensen Harper is the, the youth pastor at Antioch. And so in this uh, great way to kind of kick off our Christmas season um, and to allow us to trail off in Romans, we've got two more weeks left of Romans, single tier. I know, single tier. We're going to miss it, aren't we, church? Um, uh, but Jensen's going to give the word for us. So come on up here, Jensen. Let me pray for you. Jensen um, and I have been dear friends for four years now. And our first time we hung out was at Acapulco in Lebanon. Yes. And we talked yes. about uh, the life of Jim Elliott, didn't we? Yes. Oh, yeah. end of the spear? End of the spear. That's yes, right. That's right. Uh, Jensen loves the Lord. Um, he loves pastoring people. Uh, and uh, last time we were together, Jensen, we shared this verse. It's Jeremiah 9. It says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Not, let not the wealthy man boast of his wealth. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And the best thing I could say about Jensen, besides that he's one of my dear friends, is that uh, he knows the Lord. He, he seeks to understand the Lord. And I think that you'll see um, in, as he preaches God's word to us, that um, his desire is that you would know and grow more uh, this Sunday in him. Yes? Let's pray together. So Lord, thanks for this brother in Christ. Thanks for our mama church. And we pray that um, as Antioch meets and as the gathering meets, that the name of Jesus alone would be lifted high, just as we sang. Lord, would you allow Jensen's uh, mouth and heart and mind to be surrendered to your leading? Lord, that um, as he is prepared, that Lord, he would um, not trim any sails with the gospel, and that he would um, present to us your word, uh, faithfully studied and faithfully delivered. We pray that um, um, in so doing, that the church of God would be built up and that uh, Jesus would be made famous. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, gents. So Love you, man. Good. Yeah. How are we doing, church? Doing okay? So good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, like Mike said, I, uh, I'm the youth pastor up at Antioch Church in the Countryside YMCA. That's our full and official name. It's very long, but I love it. And uh, Mike is one of my really good friends. And uh, every Tuesday, we walk and talk. And um, I also listen to y'all's sermons as well. And when Mike says, like, I have a friend, and this happened this week, and he tries to make it out like it's a bunch of different friends that he has these experiences with, that's just me. That's it. I had this friend, and we were walking and talking. That's actually just me. 
every time. I'll like listen on some Sundays and I'm like, that wasn't a, that was me. Like, just say me. Uh, we're really good friends. And, uh, you know, Tuesdays we walk and talk and we talk about all sorts of things, how the church is doing, um, you know, from the people to the building we've gone through, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff that have happened with this building. And, and he was asking me my opinion on the carpet. And I said, honestly, I'd go with light tan. And Mike said, no, we're going to go with turquoise. We're going to go with turquoise carpet. I said, all right, bro. Sounds good. And they said, I want a, you guys can't see it, but I want some fluffy mats right here, just in case I want to jump off stage. On the other side of this, it's like gymnastic mats. But you have a really, really great church. Like, I love hearing the testimony of what's happening here at this church is that like, like our greeting times at Antioch are okay. I mean, we just, it's pretty logistical, but man, like I'm already like getting teary eyed hearing about marriages being restored and um, the, the God of love making things right again. Amen. is so sweet, but usually in, you know, greeting, welcome time, I'm sort of like tuning out like, Oh, I should be awake. Right. But man, it's like so beautiful to be with you guys and to hear how God is moving in our midst, okay? So you guys have been in Romans, correct? Please say yes. Okay, cool. It's always a panic thing. This We were doing the slides and Jen was asking me, we're in Romans, right? And I was like, I think so. We are in Romans. I've been prepping, but maybe it's Matt. I don't know. Uh, we're in Romans 16, okay? And so uh, all this morning, we're going to be in Romans 16, 17 through 23, okay? That little bolded heading is final instructions and greetings. So you can go ahead and turn there. Um, yeah, so I'm from a family of five. I am the rose between two thorns. I have two sisters, Mackenzie and Shelby. We're all four years apart. I'm 26, and uh, my parents, Jen and Jeff, are lovely. Is my mom here? She said she was... Hey, mom. Uh, she usually goes to Antioch, but she's like, I was looking for a chance to come down to the gathering. So a fellow Antiocher here with us. Um, but uh, she's, my mom's, she looks really kind, that jumbo scarf, but she's actually a killer. She works for the CIA. She's a mechanical engineer. She's pretty intense, okay? And uh, there was great respect in my home. I don't know if it was respect or fear, but it's kind of a fine line there. And... Um, we had to, if we ever disagreed with, and I oftentimes disagreed a lot because I'm a bit of a rascal. Um, if we disagreed with our parents, we had to use a phrase. And the phrase was, may I appeal? Okay. So, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. We're hanging out at a friend's house. You're just having a blast. They have a Wii or a, you know, Nintendo 64. This is me as a kid, not as a 26-year-old. Okay. Mom, like, we're having a blast. Like, I love this. This house is great. They even have really good snacks. Our house is the worst. Like, I, I want to stay here forever. And then you get, like, the most dreadful thing a little kid can hear. And it's this. All right, kids. Time to go. And then you parents, you know it's going to come next. Is no. I don't want to. But in our house, my mom would always say, the more you whine, the more likely we're not going to do the thing that you want us to do. I said, great. So we have a new phrase, or we had a phrase. 
and it was this, may I appeal. If you don't know what may I appeal means, it really just means I'm trying to make an appeal. I disagree with what you're trying to say. And so usually the way uh, that it goes, it was kind of like social Darwinism. We very quickly learned who uh, was the smart child in our family and who was not as smart. So my sisters, if they disagreed with my parents, it was, mom, may I appeal? My mom would go, okay, what's your appeal? And they would lay out this really beautiful argument as to why we should stay longer at this person's house. Well, you said we were going to get here at 8 o'clock. My expectation, we were, we were going to get there at 8 o'clock. But we got here at 8.30, and then we left at the exact time that you said that we were going to leave. So my expectation was off. I was hoping that we could actually stay for maybe 30 more minutes. Sounds like a very reasonable argument. For me, i more of a heart sort of person. Uh, not very cerebral. So, same situation. All right, kids, time to go. Five minutes. Uh, Mom, may I appeal? And she go, okay, Jensen, what's your appeal? Oh, but I don't want to, you know? That's my, and my mom's kind of looking at me like, that's your appeal. That probably wouldn't hold up very well in a court of law, right? <laughs> Uh, so it didn't really go well. So very quickly, we learned who was the uh, more intelligent Harper and uh, who was not. Um, but the really important thing about that is an appeal, it, it means a, a serious or urgent request. And it's actually how this section of the scripture begins. So in Matthew 16, 17 through 23, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, um, maybe put in another way, your version might have this, that's the ESV, it might say, I urge you, brothers, okay? So anytime you see a phrase like that, you want to cue into it. Okay, Paul is making some sort of serious argument, okay? <laughs> You're probably wondering, like, gosh, I feel like all of Romans has been very serious. But Paul is making a very specific point to say, hey, brothers, I urge you, okay? So your antennas should go up immediately, so what is the thing that Paul is so serious about? Okay, so let's dive in and read together. Okay, so if you don't have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to a neighbor, find somebody. Matthew 16, 17 through 23. Let's go ahead and read it together. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. And create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Let's pray. So, Father, we need help understanding this. You didn't just inspire Paul to write words that have no meaning. That only has meaning, but it carries a weight to it. There's an appeal being made. 
Lord, help our hearts be in tune to what you're trying to say. We want to obey you. We want to honor you. And we want our obedience and honor to flow out of the grace that you've given us and the peace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. That no longer we live in ways of fear and of bondage, but we now live in freedom because of the cross. We can live lives that are honoring to you. We want the world to see it. So Lord, I pray that you use this morning, you use our time, changes Jesus. We need you. Holy Spirit, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, let's talk a little bit about structure, okay? I know it's kind of a lame thing to maybe begin our time with, but it's really important, I think. All right, so last week, Mike had a tough job. He preached to you all on greetings. And uh, <laughs> I listened to last week's sermon, and I was a little nervous whenever he began his time because I was like, I don't know how anyone can stand up here for 30 or 40 minutes to talk about greetings. And even if you were to make it through a sermon, I'd probably be asleep by the time this guy ends. But last week was incredible, okay? And so if you remember that time, really, all of Romans is all about doctrine, 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 truth. And then we get to the end, and it's now about people. And I think what Paul is trying to say is, is hey, Here's what to do. Here's what to believe. Here's right belief in who I am. And then he moves to the people. And I think he has in his mind, here are all the people that are doing this stuff, that are living these beliefs out. And then we move to today's text, and it's a little bit of a break. It's final instructions and final greetings. And really, if you look at it, it's all about people, right? And how people hold on to the truth or don't hold on to the truth. Okay, so last week, it's about good guys, guys that are doing it right, living pleasing lives to the Lord. The beginning of today's text says, I appeal to you, brothers, so the good guys, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. So he kind of takes this break and he starts talking about guys that actually aren't living pleasing lives to the Lord. And then he ends our section with the good guys again. Right? So what is this section talking about? I believe God is talking about three things through Paul to the Romans. Okay? It's really simple. Okay? If you're not as intelligent as I am, I, uh, three different things I want us to cue in on, and I think that's how Paul leads our time. I think he's talking about three things. Good guys, <laughs> bad guys, and truth. Okay? And it feels like today that this is like, even though this is church conversation, I feel like outside of these walls, this is not an uncommon thing. We have two different sides fighting over one thing. What is true and what is not? You know, the Democrats and Republicans. What's the truth about the vaccine? I was even thinking about like, what are some things that we fight about today? And I was kind of thinking about like, what about the ice caps? Are those like actually melting? Some people are like, no, they're fine. The polar bears are good. Some people are like, no, the polar bears aren't good. And there's just fighting back and forth. I don't know what made me think of that. But it's true is that we're always constantly fighting about truth. It's part of who we are as humans. It's part of who we are as humans is we're always fighting about truth. And I think Paul here is saying, hey, good guys, you live the truth. You know the truth. You stand up for the truth. But when there's people 
that don't know the truth, that they're being divisive or contrary to the truth, avoid them. Okay? Avoid them. And so that's how we're going to do our time. We're going to talk about who are the bad guys? What are qualities about who they are? Who are the good guys? What are some qualities about who they are? And then, and then what's the truth that we hold on to? Why do all of these things? Okay, that's where we're heading today. All right, so let's talk about bad guys. Okay, so this is it. Three things. Bad guys. What are they like? They're divisive. They're likable. And they're selfish. Okay, the bad guys. These divisive characters that Paul's describing seem to be those that have great oratory skills. They're smooth talkers. They're, uh, they flatter. It's like they say really nice things. This is probably the guy at church that you want to talk to the most. You walk into the church, you're like, ah, oh, he's so good at talking and being a conversationalist. He draws you into his abilities, his skills, his competencies. He's a smooth talker. But yet... Paul says that he is divisive, okay? So he's cool, but ultimately, he's causing problems. A little bit about me, um, one of my favorite football teams. I'm sorry about yesterday. It was just bad for almost everyone in the room. I was an Auburn fan, am an Auburn fan, and uh, that was brutal. If you watch the game, we lost in the final minute and 20 seconds and we could have won if there's the running back late on the you don't need to know all these but ohio state i'm sorry about that too but more than that i love the cleveland browns that's my team any brownies in here okay yes let's go come on you're wow okay orange nice um so i love the cleveland browns and um in 2019 we picked up one of our like the greatest receiver in all of the nfl he was cool people liked him he even had tattoos very cool and uh, he's made one of the greatest catches in NFL history. His name is Odell Beckham Jr. Okay, we picked him up on a massive deal. And um, like when we picked him up, it was just like, this is a home run. This guy's amazing. He's a, it, incredibly fast. He can catch the ball. His IQ for football is insane. He's very cool. But ultimately on his first team, he caused division. He caused problems. He was a guy that was all about himself. Even though he was a really flashy player and good, ultimately, it wasn't helpful to the team. Why? Because he caused divisions. By all logic and reason, this is the guy you want on your team. If this was dodgeball, he's a number one pick. Okay? But ultimately, now he has gone through two teams, both of which, with him on, should have been front runner for Super Bowl. But ultimately it led to destruction within the locker room. By all reason and logic, this should be the guy that should take you far. But ultimately, he was the one that brought us lowest. His divisiveness and presence in the locker room does more damage than his benefit of his talent. Yet people continue to seek him out. His talent, his woo, his persona. By all accounts, avoiding this person seems ludicrous. Yet, this is now the case for two professional football teams, avoiding a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Okay? And so what is Paul saying? For the Cleveland Browns and the Giants, they say, avoid that guy. Paul's saying the exact same thing. Avoid that person. Avoid, the, even though they're good at talking, their skills are incredible. Avoid that person. Why? Because they're creating divisions and obstacles to what? 
to the truth, to doctrine. And today, whenever I speak, I'm going to be using those, third, those three things interchangeably. Okay, doctrine, truth, gospel. Why? Because they're all the same. Okay? This doctrine that you're, I don't know if you're like me, but when you hear doctrine, you think, this is like the worst thing you could have told me. I want to hear about like the love of Jesus and all the cool stuff. And doctrine, really? Friends, this is the, doctrine is the vehicle to the love of Christ. Doctrine is the vehicle for the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't know in worship if you guys are like in the chorus of the last song, the sun was like shining through Jesus. I was like, Gosh, this is amazing. That's what doctrine is. It's the vehicle to show the brilliance of Jesus in Christ crucified. So this is a good thing. Like doctrine is the thing that saved marriages. The truth of the gospel is the thing that brings reconciliation. We have to hold on to it. That's what Paul is saying here. Is don't worry about all these external factors of the cool factor and having a really amazing church with all these sweet, this great coffee and a captivating speaker and all these things. He's not talking to the Roman church that way. His final instruction is hold on to the truth. Paul is a super apostle. I would have been like, hey, give me all the, uh, the pro tips you have on doing ministry. Like, like, what's the room temperature that I should set the AC to for my church building? What's the th and he ends with, avoid those that teach contrary doctrine. That is striking. But it shows the importance of this appeal. Why is Paul so serious? Is because doctrine is so important and serious. The truth of the gospel is so important. Okay, so what does avoiding look like? Uh, maybe some of you are in church and you're like, gosh, I've been waiting for so long to avoid that person in our church. I'm so glad Paul gave me the right to like just not talk to that person I don't like at church. That's not what he's saying. What does he mean by avoid? Okay. And I love how he says, hey, does he say uh, avoid those that like don't really make good eye contact or avoid those that don't like your football team or avoid those that voted for Trump or avoid those that got the vaccine? <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says avoid those that teach contrary doctrine. And so some of you are like, gosh, I was hoping that I could avoid this person and never talk to him. Paul's with me. He's on my team. He's not saying that. What does it mean to avoid? Let's not overcomplicate it. Not align yourself with that person. Don't link arms with them in ministry. Don't go to their church. Why? Because they're not teaching the truth of the gospel. They're not teaching doctrine. Stay away from them. In school shooter situations, they have three different principles for how to avoid the shooter. Okay? It's run, hide, and fight. Get away from them. Don't get sucked into their ways and, and what they're trying to do. Worst comes to worst, fight them. Draw a line in the sand saying, over my dead body. When you disagree with the core beliefs of Christianity, we're going to fight. And when you are aligning yourself with false doctrine, I'm going to avoid you because it is a poison, right? Cancer gets chemotherapy, right? People like this are 
uh, hidden from. School shooters get run away from. We run away from them. We hide. We fight them. Doctrine is the thing that people use to take to the nations. We have truth of the gospel that we believe it's worth dying for. Okay? So run, hide, and fight. We're supposed to avoid. So how do we do that? What it like? How does that play out in our terms today? Maybe it's this for you. Maybe when you see that person on Facebook post another ridiculous article, maybe it'd be good to like close out all the tabs of all the articles you have geared up that refute their article. You know, it's kind of crazy. I feel like that's not a really original thing to say, but it's still something that keeps happening within the church over and over again. Is we keep fighting on Facebook, like, just delete your Facebook. It's not worth it. Like, just post videos of puppies and stuff, okay? Don't, don't keep fighting over these things. If you want to have a really good discussion, just talk in person. But yet we keep using Facebook as this, like, norm for disagreeing. So maybe next time, like, just close out of the tab. Maybe it's the pastor who's really captivating and cool, even though you have one here with Mike. The pastor is really cool and captivating, and their church has really good coffee. But they're like, doctrine and teaching and truth is kind of like hot dog water. It's like not good. <laughs> Don't go to that church. Don't do it. But it's really easy, right? You guys have worked really hard all week. You get to the end of your week, and you want something to just rest in and veg out on. It's really easy to go to the cool church, isn't it? But this is a cool church. It's really easy to do those things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to go to the churches that will preach Christ crucified and will actually get you in the game. It's really easy to go to church and want to just sit on the sideline. It's hard to go to the church when you're in the game. And it's not just the preacher man preaching truth. It's all of us going out into the community and teaching the truth, the doctrine of the gospel. Okay? But disclaimer, if you have a beef with another church member, that is your family member. Okay? So if there's someone within your family, your church family, that's teaching doctrine contrary to the doctrine that, honestly, Paul, if you're wondering what doctrine are they talking about, really just re-listen to all of the messages that we've done on Romans. That's the doctrine. It's the truth of, it's our identity of who we once were. It's our identity of who we are now. Look back at all of Romans and say, that's the doctrine. That's the truth of the gospel. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Ultimately, we have to hold on to the truth of the gospel. And we have to seek unity with our family members. That's where I was going with it. But if they're not your church family member, avoid them. If they are in your family, you can't do that with your family member. You know, you can't say, hey, that one time you said that one thing that really offended me. Or even when you did something really awful, like I didn't just avoid you, I moved towards you. That's what a family looks like. And we look to shape the doctrine of one another look to push each other in truth. I know you, some of you, many of y'all actually have gone through the crucible of Mr. Mike's testimony talks, 
where he sits you down and he talks through the testimony of yours. And many people have actually, it's been like a prick of like, ah, someone is like shaping my story. It's my story. It's my story. You can't, you can't do that to me. But what Mike is doing is he's trying to make sure that you know the truth of the gospel. And me as a pastor, I hear this all the time. As we sit down, we talk about testimonies. And people say, well, you know, I was a Christian all my life. And then um, I um, went to this church camp and I got saved. Okay. And then I kind of drifted. And then my senior year of high school, I really became a Christ follower. Okay, so pretty much what you're saying to me is that Jesus died for you three different times. And that you have the ability to push away the saving grace of God. It's not the truth of the gospel. Okay? You weren't born of a virgin. We have to know the truth of the gospel and put our hope and faith in that. Okay? And so these people, why, do, why avoid them? Well, if you look at who they are, they're people that like to suck us in with their vortex. They, uh, they probably live by the mantra, bad we've all heard this, bad publicity is good publicity. It's, it's, they want their voice heard. They like to be on stage because, honestly, they're probably teaching things that feel good. They feel amazing, but they're not the truth of the gospel. Stay away from them, Paul says. But why? Because truth is important. In 1 Timothy, Paul actually says that the church is the buttress of the truth. Isn't that a funny word? If you're a kid, I would have laughed just there. But it's the buttress of the truth. It's the cornerstone. It's the most important thing. Meaning, what does that mean? It's like the foundation of the, of the truth. The church is the foundation of the truth. The major thing that should come out of the church is truth. Not more, you know, soup kitchens or, um, you know, thrift stores or whatever it is. Those are really important things, good things. But oftentimes we can get sucked into the means of ministry rather than the end of ministry. And it's to preach Christ crucified. It's to preach the good news of Jesus. That is doctrine and that is truth. The church is the buttress of truth. It actually helps us live. It promotes reconciliation, restoration. And it helps us know how to go from death to life. Okay, so when should I avoid someone? You should divide or avoid someone when they teach against the gospel. It's that, it's that simple. In an day and age, everyone has their own truth. We have to lift the truth of the gospel up. However, I can't define all of the primary doctrines of Christianity um, right on this moment. But just go back and listen to some of those messages that uh, Mike or some of the other guys have preached here. It's all the things you've all been learning about in the book of Romans. It's all about the work of Jesus on the cross. Our identity of who we once were as sinners and who we are now. That's what the most important thing that we can gather from Romans. Yet many of us are quick to divide over, let's be honest, really bad reasons. Ooh, that person. Ah, they spoke down on Trump. They got the vaccine and they posted this. 
Those are the things that strike our flesh and offend our flesh first. And those are the things we're most willing to divide over with somebody. When was the last time that we divided over the gospel? Gavin Ortland, in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, puts it in this way. You can spend more time fixing a broken arm when no one is hemorrhaging 10 feet away. If you have neither a broken arm nor a dying man to attend to, you can give more attention to a chipped tooth or bad bruise. If you'd like to know precisely what to divide or die or disagree over, read that book. It's a really good one. But use your noggin, people. Make sure you avoid those that are threatening the gospel. The most important thing, like internal bleeding. Even though those those topics are important, they're not the most important thing. Because ultimately, when Christ returns, those conversations will go away. But let's rightly value them in the tier of most important things to discuss. Not those that vote differently from you, worship differently, like a skin knee. we got to make sure that we're focusing on the gospel. That's like internal bleeding. Oftentimes in the church world, we can confuse a skin knee for a blown-off leg. They played reckless love, and I left that church. Okay, make sure that we avoid or divide over essentials to the gospel. So what is one doctrine that is against the gospel? Like, what's, what's one? Jen, okay, talking in hypotheticals. Is that, and I hear this all the time in student ministries. And it kills me. Because ultimately, if we keep believing this, we will have more and more people deceived that they're saved and going to heaven. It's a disease that's infected our churches. It's that good deeds save. Okay, that's one. I give you a whole laundry list. But every time I ask a student about their testimony, this is a really helpful question if you want to know where maybe your student stands, a spouse, a friend, saying like, hey, if you were to go to heaven and God was at the gates and he asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? It's a very telling way to figure out where someone puts their faith and trust. Okay, And many students put their faith and trust in their good deeds. Well, Christian good deeds, more like, I go to church, I I read my Bible. I, I do the thing. I think that he, that's, that's putting jeopardy. That's putting our souls in jeopardy. That we're putting our faith and trust in what we do and not in the cross of Jesus. We put our hope and faith and trust in all that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. This is the gospel. Good deeds don't save. This is why we're not a Catholic church. This is not just outside the church. It's in it. The amount of students I know that believe that their good good deeds can save them is insane. We need parents to teach their kids doctrine. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul. Okay? He's the one saying it. We have to teach people these things because if we don't, there will be so many people shocked whenever the Lord returns. And they think that they're good. I like how one uh, author puts it in the book, uh, Conversion, is that when we say, you're okay, you're good, you're in, and we don't process what they actually believe, sometimes we can falsely vaccinate someone. Hey, you're good, you're in, you're safe, you've been saved. And ultimately, when the Lord judges, 
and he asks them that same question, they'll say, no, I'm good. I prayed the prayer. I did the thing. I read my Bible enough. And ultimately, he'll say, I never knew you. Right? Isn't that what the man said to Jesus? He came up to him and said, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons? These are like extraordinary markers of a Christian. Like those would be really awesome. If you came up to me and told me that, I'd be like, I've never done that before. Good job. The problem with that is people put their faith and hope in what they do, not in the cross of Jesus. Truth, doctrine, the gospel matters. Some of us put a higher value in our kids' sports career than their spiritual lives. i got to make sure that they're at the practice to get their reps in. If they don't get their reps in, they're not going to start. I hope this generation focuses on getting spiritual reps. <laughs> it's not a silly thing to say, but it's true. I hope that this generation becomes more interested on whether or not our kids are saved than starting for the team. To believe that one must do good, good works to be saved is a danger to the church, whether believed consciously or subconsciously. This is the truth of the gospel. Okay, so these are the bad guys. Now, what are the good guys? We're going to move quickly through this one. Okay, so bad guys we're supposed to avoid. That's point number one. Point number two is this is be wise. How does Paul describe the good guys here? They're wise. He says, be wise and good and innocent in evil. Okay, so what does it mean to be wise? Well, Jesus defines it in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Being wise is knowing and it's doing. Look, look back, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man. So being wise is both knowing and doing. I think Paul here is saying like, hey, couple those two things together. Know the doctrine that I just taught you and live in this way. Here's all my friends that have done it. And then he's going to end with some final greetings. Those guys did it too. How can you recognize a bad guy from a good guy? Is when he's not doing the Jesus stuff. Or maybe he just doesn't know the gospel or the truth of Jesus. So three, how to be wise is know the truth, avoid those contrary to the truth, and live the truth. How to be wise is to know the truth, to actually be able to articulate the gospel. Avoid those that are living contrary to the truth. I'm not talking about, you know, baby baptism or believer's baptism or... You know, when, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, when the Lord's going to come back. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the gospel. The truth of how one gets saved. To go from death to life. Charles Spurgeon once said, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. I've uh, been watching this show called Ted Lasso. Um, if you've never seen it, it's okay. I wouldn't recommend checking it out. It's very inappropriate. Um, but 
mainly language, nothing else. But really the premise of the show is this, is a Division II football coach from Kansas gets hired to coach a Premier League soccer team in England. And what I love about it is that Ted, he's this mustached man, always wears a vest, is played by Jason Sudeikis, and he knows nothing. He knows nothing about soccer. And yet the team is actually performing more than they expected. Why? Because the knowledge, the little knowledge he did know, the little knowledge that he did have, he was actually rightly applying it. Like people wanted to follow him, not because he was the most intelligent person in the room, but because he actually lived it out. He lived a life that was compelling. From Division II college football coach to Premier League soccer coach. It's a hilarious concept, but again, please don't watch it because then you'll get, I'll probably get an email from you. Please don't do it. By all accounts, this guy is a fool in the soccer world. However, over time, his players and fellow coaches see the wisdom that he carries, even though he knows nothing about soccer. And yet, he wants to grow in his knowledge of the sport. Wisdom is just as much about doing than it is about knowing. But wisdom also has a purpose. It's intended to bring God glory. What's the difference between a good guy and a bad guy? Good guys want to bring glory to God and serve him. It's not about like the person on the stage teaching. It's not about getting the, mm, whenever you're praying. It's not about those things. It's not about impressing other people. It's about telling people about the truth of Jesus. Consider the person of Jesus, right? He was God. He knew all things. He could have like, preached and pontificated all the time, really tried to impress people. He didn't just flaunt all of his knowledge that he had, but he also prayed with the sick. He healed them. He spent time with those that were suffering. He lived a life that was compelling. He outknew the Pharisees and false teachers, and he outloved them. So why know the truth? So that we may not be deceived like the bad guys do. They deceive the naive. Why live the truth, truth so that our lives confirm what we believe? How do I know that Paul wanted his readers to both know the truth and live it? Because he listed the guys who did it, who, who did it to close the section, right? It's Gaius, it's Erastus, it's Sosipater. If you're looking for a baby name this year, I would just stay clear Sosipater, not a great one. I'd stay with just like Joshua or maybe Jason, maybe Tertius, but Sosipater, not good. I'd stay away from that one. Paul closes this passage with a crew of good guys, good guys that heard God's words and did them. Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, guys that knew God's words and stuck with Paul through difficulty. Ones that said, for the gospel, I will stand with you. Okay, so point number four is this. Pursue unity in the gospel. Pursue it. Know it. Avoid those contrary to the truth. Live it. And then pursue unity in that truth. Each of these guys most likely had very different lifestyles from different backgrounds, jobs, personalities. This church, if you think about all of us here in this room, we're all, we all look different. We all act different. We're all from different backgrounds. 
But wouldn't it be beautiful if the outside world, maybe other churches, looked at this church and said, these guys all look so different. They act different, yet they're all unified in the truth of the gospel. In a time when everyone is fighting, always, wouldn't it be beautiful to see the church be the cornerstone of unity? That's what we want. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit is after. It seems weird to, for Paul to say, hey, avoid this person. That sounds divisive. But Paul is actually saying, hey, I actually want you not to avoid for the sake of avoiding. I want you to avoid and pursue unity. It almost reminds me of the 2 Timothy 2 passage where it says, so flee youthful passions and pursue faith, love, and righteousness. So it's a turning. It's a running. I'm turning away from those that actually don't know the truth of the gospel. And I'm running towards the truth with other people that are all in with me. We might have our disagreements, our differences, but we're united in this truth. And you've got to kill us to divide us. Okay, it reminds me of The Chosen. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Okay, let's go. True Christian right there. Um, I love that show because there's, it shows the humanity of following Jesus. There's like one whole episode devoted towards the infighting of the apostles. It's a beautiful picture. Because ultimately the way that I think season two begins is it's like all these guys that have the disagreements, they're from different backgrounds. Peter hates Matthew because they're both Jews yet from different backgrounds. He's, Matthew's the one protected by Rome. Peter's the one that Rome is after. Okay, Different people, but unified by the person of Jesus Christ. They pursued unity despite differences. They held on to the truth that mattered above all else. The gospel. Okay, so how do we live in light of that, right? I just threw a lot at you. So for us, let's talk about it. What would the world say about you and this church if you, y'all, us, we became a people that loved each other deeply, reading the word over each other, praying for each other, uniting over the gospel despite differences? What would that look like? I think the outside world would say they are totally committed to each other. When everyone seems like they're fighting, the church isn't. Impressed, they'd be impressed that the church knows why they believe what they believe. I think the outside world is so frustrated with Christians because they don't actually know why they believe what they believe. That's why deconstruction is such a hot topic right now. Many of you have heard that. Really what it means is just deconstructing. It's a belief of deconstructing the Christian faith. Why is that happening? Because so few know the truth of the gospel and can have an answer to support why they believe what they believe. We need a church to be unified under the truth of the gospel and to be willing to avoid and divide over the truth. So friends, know the truth in such a way that demands respect. Pursue unity in such a way that is irresistible. Love other people in such a way that they feel so attracted to the church. Why should we desire unity and no doctrine? It's because of Christ. Right? If we're talking about differences, Christ, who is God himself, left the heavenly realm to come down here on earth where lots of struggle and temptation and difficulty is here for all of us. 
Many of us know the difficulties of living here on earth. Yet he left the heavenly realm. He was a perfect man, came here on earth, and he died for his enemy. And Christ gave us that example and model so that we could live it out. To actually die for those that are our enemies, or those that we might disagree with, or those that we might be different from. And that we might, might be unified by the truth of the Father sending the Son to die for those that are enemies of God. We look to know unity and truth because Christ is a truth that unites. So point number five is this, trust in God. Trust in God. Jesus is the one that brings Jew and Gentiles together. Those with crazy differences. God brings together the most unlike people together in his church for one common goal, is to make Christ crucified known. Trust that God will bring us together. Trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is only through Jesus can one be saved and receive eternal life. The gospel of Jesus empowers us to die to self. I love in Romans 8 how it says that living by the flesh cannot honor, cannot honor God. Those that live by the Spirit are able to honor and please God. So friends, I encourage you to like live by the one that dwells in you. Be empowered by the one that lives in you. If you've received Christ, he is in you. Walk by the Spirit. I think if Paul were to see this church, and I've been on a lot of walks with Mike, and this is confirmed, is that when I hear about this church, you guys are doing these things, right? I think you guys fit really well into this last section of Scripture. I rejoice over you for your obedience. You guys are doing it. You're living by the truth of the gospel. You are looking to reconcile with one another. If there's someone in the room that you haven't reconciled with, do it because this is your family. This is your family. I think many of you are tired because we're serving all the time at church and it's the end of the year and it's hard right now. But I think Paul would say, you're doing great. Good job. I rejoice over you because of your obedience, but continue to know the truth. Continue to preach the gospel to yourself. I know you're tired uh, gathering. Go to Jesus, the one who brings peace. Be with Jesus that gives his wisdom generously. Go to Jesus who will one day crush the head of the enemy and save us. Don't stop. I love this church. What you guys are doing here is encouraging to us at Antioch. We're so thankful for the model that you guys are giving to us to really dive into the weeds of doctrine and truth. And honestly, it's really good. And it's challenging for us. When you guys are living the way that you are living, it challenges our church to get better. I know church planning is hard. But you guys are doing it well. I think if Paul were here, he would say, I rejoice over you because of your obedience. Don't stop. Keep going. Why? Because the world must know this truth about Jesus on the cross. Hold on to the truth. Continue to pursue unity. 
and avoid those that are going to live contrary to it. You guys are doing great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate. He was the truth. And he lived in such a way that people were drawn to him. He outknew the Pharisees. He outloved them. He was a model for how to live this life. Father, thank you for sending him so that we could receive everlasting life and spend eternity with you. Father, we pray that this word changes us so that we pursue unity and we look to reconcile with our neighbor. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.